Hi, I'm Beck, and this is the Be Soulful Podcast, a place where we dive into deep conversations with vulnerability and authenticity to inspire you to ask the more deeper and meaningful questions in your own life. Our guest today on the Be Soulful Podcast is Amanda Ashworth, the CEO and founder of Saffron Designs. Amanda is a mum of three, a homeschooler and an avid world traveller. Saffron Designs was started on Etsy and Amanda wanted to spread a message through their designs of positivity and empowerment whilst being kind to our planet. Having seen during her travels the impact that climate change was having on the world, she decided she would start an eco-friendly business that was plastic-free and only used sustainable materials. So in mid-January 2021, Amanda set herself the challenge that with the right mindset, anyone can start a business. With 400 pounds, one design, and just one tote bag, Saffron Designs was born. It's my pleasure to welcome Amanda to the Be Soulful podcast today. Welcome, Amanda. Thank you so much for joining us on the Be Soulful podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. All the way from the UK. Yes. <laughs> so, Amanda, thank you so much for joining us again. So the first question I always open up with, and as I said, it puts everyone on the spot, who is Amanda? Um, so I am a mum of three, a home educating mum of three um, that has a passion for traveling. Um, I'm also a business owner um, who over probably the last four or five years has been going on on some incredible journey, which I'm only at the beginning of. So um, if you ask me in a year's time who I am, I no doubt I'm going to change um, that is, is ever evolving. I love that. This passion for travel, is this something that you've always had and has just stayed with you or did it come more recently or a bit later in life? So probably about six years ago, I read The 4-Hour Workweek and The 4-Hour Workweek made me question life. So it's a Tim Ferriss book and so amazing. Um, And that was what made me want to home educate and made me think about the world around us and so obviously when your children are in school you're kind of restricted to term times and like holiday prices and um, so probably that was the biggest factor and wanting to show my children the world as well. Yeah yeah I can I I actually just wrote that book down as you were saying at the four hour work week um, which I think is such a big thing because, you know, we're, we're all so used to being stuck in the, in the daily grind as well um, and being restricted to times that we that we have to. Yeah, some- and I think prior to that, I think that um, I think I listened to one of your previous guests and it really resonated with me when um, they were talking about kind of when you feel that you've ticked every box. So you've got everything society says you should yes. have mm-hmm. and you're pretty miserable with it. And, you know. I was, you know, the kind of the negative voices and, you know, of just not feeling good enough and not feeling, you know, and just chasing constantly and just going, actually, I have all these material things, but this isn't what I want to do. Um, So I really struggled. Um, So when I first had my son, I was a single mom to start with. Um, So I had to balance up being a working mom with him and which generally involved commuting so I worked for digital startups in London so that would be being on the 645 train in the morning so literally I would pick my son up in his pajamas drop him at my dad's go to my job and then come home and maybe see him for an hour before I then 
put him to bed and start to work again. And so I felt so guilty all the time. And so one of the ways I overcame that guilt was just by buying him and thinking, well, you know, this makes up for me not being there. And it really didn't. And so then I kind of went freelance thinking, well, you know, that's a kind of balance. But then you get a thing of that you don't get the the decent roles that you can really get your teeth into mm-hmm. because you're part time. So you get more the more troublesome roles. And then with what I was doing, it also required networking in the evenings. And, you know, so trying to find the balance I found so difficult. And then as me and my partner, um, he moved in. We decided to try for a family um, and we both had children from previous relationships. So um, it was we thought it was a given that you could just have more babies. Um, And we found that that wasn't the case. So we found that we had secondary infertility. So went through a process of IVF. Um, wow. which which worked but then it also resulted in miscarriage afterwards oh. so it was kind of like a roller coaster and I think having a miscarriage after IVF is really difficult because you've been through so much already um, and so but the lovely part of the story is is um, Mike had actually just bought me a backpack and a travel book for Thailand and the day after Christmas I said I think I need to take a test and then found out I was pregnant with my middle child, completely natural. And oh so, gosh. you know, and I think that's the case of when you stop worrying about it, it all kind of falls into place. Wow. That, yeah, I was talking about that recently, Amanda, with someone else about sometimes when we're in that sort of masculine energy mode and we, we're, we're pushing a lot. Um, and as women, we, um, someone else framed it really well. We're in a very masculine arena sometimes in the workspace and um, we don't allow ourselves to be in that flow state. So how amazing that that's, um, that that happened for you. Yeah, incredible. Incredible. So the travel. Now you have tra- traveled to um, tell us, you, you tell us where, where you've been. You've been all around the world. Uh, we've been, um, yeah, quite a few places. Um, so we, we came over to Oz, China, um, Dubai, Morocco, um, Thailand, mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of where else. Most of Europe. Yeah. Most so we've, Europe. we've traveled, we've traveled Amazing. a lot. So my four-year-old I think she's been to about 20 countries so COVID did put a kind of you know block on that so we're going to Dubai in January and I realized the other day that it was her it's going to be her fourth time there oh wow she's she's very well traveled she's very well oh how amazing gosh I'm 37 and not been once that's amazing (laughs) um because you were actually so before um well when when the COVID situation hit you were stuck in Goa weren't you yeah so we made the decision so um Mike actually had a month's paternity leave so obviously in the first couple of weeks they don't do very much so we were like okay why not let's use your paternity leave and do something cool yeah and so we were actually going to look at a base that we were considering um purchasing in Bulgaria um Mm. and so we did um, Bulgaria Dubai with a one month or with three children but one of them being a month old and then we went to Goa um, and the idea was in Goa, the children were going to go to school. I was going to have some help. Mike was going to go home after a little while. And I had some friends out there and that actually I could get some work done and just kind of be, be in the sun. Um, that didn't really work out. So school lasted a few days before they got shut down. And then the oh. day after Mike left India, the borders closed. Oh, so we gosh. were considering kind of 
sitting out there, which was fine. So when every, when the UK was in full lockdown, I was still going to restaurants. But then when the borders closed, um, food and water started to get a bit scarce. And, mm. you know, and I was a bit like, OK, monsoon season was coming. And so we kind of made the decision to come home. So I was really lucky to be on the first repatriation flight back. Oh, glad to hear that. Yeah. And um, traveling with three kids. Um, I know Louis a little bit older. He's 11. Is that correct? Um, he's 13 now. So oh, he's 13. He, oh, okay. Yeah. So he is he's a teenager so yeah but he is actually very helpful as well so um but yeah they're I don't actually find it that difficult so in in India actually one of the things that we did we had to adapt this time so um I actually drove in Goa which was um yeah eye-opening but I managed to do it I um I admire I admire you um doing that (laughs) dropping in Goa (laughs) <laughs> yeah it wasn't it, to be honest it's only the cows that you've got to really worry about okay. and the, the kind of odd moped but obviously the rules really don't apply there so you no, just that's right yeah yeah <laughs> goodness me um so I wanted to ask you so obviously you are you're a mum of three um homeschooling world schooling um and you mentioned that, you know, at the time you, that you started this business, you weren't earning an income, so to speak. Um, so what made you decide to start Saffron Designs? So it was a bit of a, I think to prove to myself, so Saffron Designs isn't my first business. So I've had two previous oh, businesses. Oh, okay. So oh. I've always kind of, I think I'm pretty much unemployable. So, uh, you know, <laughs> that how much I've kind of loved some of the jobs that I've done, Um I'm very entrepreneurial so you know I'm kind of used to making something out of nothing so my first business when I set it up was 20 so um, oh, wow and what was that can that, I just ask child, child care recruitment oh wow so nannies maternity nurses so I when I started off as a nanny so and then kind of transitioned to that and then made the transition into recruitment so um yeah it was it was definitely eye-opening but yeah with Saffron basically what was happening was I was hearing from lots of people that you needed a huge audience, you needed lots of money, you needed lots of time, you needed a website, you needed an original idea. And I kind of wanted to prove that actually, no, you didn't. You just needed to go for it. Um, And I'd been kind of pottering with some ideas for a while. And then I was like, okay, what's stopping me? So literally, I just started. What helped was that um, my partner had been um, exploring a yoga business so we had some of the stuff sitting around so it was just like okay let's just see if and I decided the route would be TikTok to Etsy as a Uh test to see how long it would take and it took kind of less than 24 hours to get the first order and then we kind of went from there so oh my gosh wow 24 hours to get the first order 24 hours to get the first order so basically it got to about so we I got back from Gary in April and got to about July and I was like do you know what I'm really wasting this time this opportunity you know I'd, I'd bake bread I'd make granola I'd spend lots of time doing arts and crafts with the kids but I was like this is an opportunity we're never ever going to get back you know how can you get FOMO when you're sat at your house you can't so you know and all of the excuses and just going I don't want to use this time just to watch Netflix and you know we've got to make something out of this and so I started to kind of upskill myself with digital skills kind of from the July um, and so I'd had another 
thing that I'd been kind of messing around with it'd be making money online um but I was like now okay I need to kind of make it serious wow and where does that entrepreneurial because you mentioned that you think that you're quite unemployable um so where does that in entrepreneurial come from is that something you grew up around do you think it just comes naturally it's just something it's just who you are I think it's just who I am. I think that um, at school, I wasn't particularly academic. I could, if I applied myself, I, I could be. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I just wanted to do my own thing, really. And I think that really came out in school. And I think it's kind of came out ever since. So I've always been used to. Um, so like I had a role previously um, with a digital startup. And that role was created for me because I decided, I basically handpicked a a whole bunch of companies I wanted to work for and I made a visual a video present like a video cv for them and literally just emailed it to all these ceos so I ended up kind of going in for lots of meetings at these different companies um and then this particular company this role was created for me which was exactly what I wanted so that is amazing and so I can imagine that lots of people listening would be thinking oh my god like were you scared to do that or you just thought I'm just this is what I want and I'm going to go after it and I want to I I just think the worst that can happen is you just don't get response so so for example here recently um I managed to get in a paper and literally that came from an idea I was like okay orders are a bit slow this week what can I do and so I wrote my story um I sent it to journalists I'd handpicked and within six minutes the journalist had responded saying that she liked my story she pitched it to editor the, um, the next morning and within 24 hours it was published in the paper. Oh my gosh. And it was just that thing of just going, the worst that can happen is I just don't hear anything. I, I really, I, I, I love that, Amanda, and I, I really admire that. Um, and, and I know that you said that, you know, in terms of school, you didn't feel like you were academic, but in a lot of ways I don't feel like, I can only talk from my own experience. I don't feel like the, the school system, whilst we need academics and we need those people, it's not always designed and, and for everyone because um, I don't think it really does allow you to perhaps maybe learn those skills or bring out your own creativity at times. Yeah, so I've learned a lot by um, home educating. So um, when I first took my son out of school, um, I realised that was a problem with his writing. Um, and I realized to start with, I was like, maybe he's just not really trying or, you know, he's just having an off day or lazy. And then basically it turned out that I was like, no, this, there's something more here. And so I took him to see an educational psychologist and he was diagnosed with something called dysgraphia, which right. is a, a disorder of the written expression. Oh. But he's also gifted and the two were masking each other and the school had never picked up on it. And when I went into school with him um basically I was told unless he was three years behind there was nothing that he could do and they were punishing him and making him stay in at break time to finish the work even though he physically was finding it difficult um so this is a child that would have definitely been written off at school he's now 13 and he's about to do some of his GCSEs two years early wow Uh, you just kind of now just fill us in here because in Australia okay we're not we may not be sure what that is so this is they you do them at 16 here so it's school okay. rather than sixth form so I know you go to 18 don't you yes yeah, yeah. so yeah so we um so I think it's basically what what is it the exams that you do oh gosh like well, I mean we do like final year exams like final year is that like your final year exams like if like year 12 uh yeah it's year 11 Oh, okay. Um, you do these exams and then you oh. go to college to year 13 and oh, then you go to university. Okay. 
Right. So that would be like your final year exams then? Yeah. Oh, wow. So, so, you know, so since I had my middle child, I don't really teach him anymore. I'm more of a like project manager. So he has tutors from around the world. He's like, he does various classes, but they're based on his, like what he wants to do. So like next year he'll take biology, computer studies and psychology. Amazing. Um, And then the next year he'll take like a few more. And so the the deal that we have is um, I used to be a bit of a tiger mum, whereas now I'm like kind of very much sniffing back. And um, the deal is he needs to be able to get to university. He doesn't have to go to university. So we want to give him something like a failure fund um, that he starts a, a business a fa- with it. Oh, I love a failure that. fund or a launch fund. So a pot of money that he could spend going to university or buying a house or going traveling or starting a business. But that's his pot of money where he gets to decide what he wants to do with it. Amazing. And I love that you're, that you're, um, what's the word that you're, that, that you allow, you're allowing him to make that decision for himself rather than tell yeah. him, because I've seen this a lot because I have worked in the school system myself. Um, I've seen it so much where parents will tell their kids what they need to do because that's seen as the right thing to do, the correct thing to do. That was me. But the more I've learned about education and learning, so ultimately I want any child that I have to love learning because learning is a pretty amazing thing. Yes. And too many people, by the time they've gone through the school system, hate learning and yes. they don't really see the point in developing themselves. And, you know, so for me, mindset is really important. Mm-hmm. Um But it's also you've got to look at what school was originally designed for. School is there to have to to generate compliant children, like compliant people who can go and fit into the workforce and do what they're told. Correct. And it kills it kills kind of critical thinking. It kills creativity. It kills any entrepreneurial spirit a child may have. And like I have a 20 month old and watching her like she's almost saying full sentences. She's been able to walk for the last year. she doesn't need to be taught anything she you know she she learned so much um that you know and I think so much is placed on success being to do with your career and where you get to as opposed to happiness absolutely and knowing who you are and I don't want my children to get to being an adult before they start to learn who they are yes yeah yeah I think I think that's perfect and I think um you know, there is, there's, there's, there's also a lot of status placed around um, a university degree. And I'm not trying to take away from the importance of a university degree and the value that adds to our society and to individual people, but it's not for everyone. It no, is but not nowhere else in the world would you give an 18 year old a hundred thousand. So here it's about um, so in Australian terms, it'd be about hundred thousand dollars, yeah, hundred thousand, hundred twenty thousand dollars. Would you give an eighteen-year-old that? Because if you, you know, a bank wouldn't give an eighteen-year-old that to yeah, start a business. That's right. So giving an eighteen-year-old that, and you know, they're saddled with debt, and yeah. they're basically on the hamster wheel for the rest of their life without Correct. actually knowing. And you know, it's not for everybody. 
No, it's not. And the best part about that, and I'm, I'm talking from real life experience in um, things that I've done for work, I've seen a lot of people, unfortunately, who have um, who have gone through that process of going to university because mum and dad, you know, influenced that, which again, I'm, I'm not trying to say is a bad thing. However, have walked out with a massive hex debt um, and uh, cannot get work in their field of choice or what they've studied. Um or have realised that what they want has actually changed and they've just spent the last three to four years um, doing this degree. So. But equally, if you think of university as a business, which effectively it is, it, it, makes, is. it makes money, um, but if you bought something, um, you know, off a, a company, you would be asking for your money back because, you know, it's Absolutely. not true to the word. So when I worked in recruitment, I would meet lots of people that had done business management degrees and would come out and say, well, you know, I want to do manage people. Well, yeah, that's great. But you have no experience. So, you know, you're going to have to start at the bottom like everyone else. And that doesn't really sit well when they've been told, you know, for the last three years, actually, you know, you're going to get this and you're going to get that. Well, mm. no, you're not. That's right. And nothing beats actually experiencing it. You know, when we talk yeah. about experience, it's not just, ex- you know, yes, it's experience in a professional term, but experiencing life, you know, even a job, you are experience. it's part of life. So it's to experience. So, well, this, this is why I love traveling so much. Yes. So for example, um, when um, my middle child was about 18 months, um, we headed off um, to India. And we were only meant to be in India for three days um, before we went on to Asia. And so I was there with two children, seriously daunting, turned up in New Delhi on Christmas, on New Year's Year's Day. I'd never been to India before. Um, I'd booked into a hostel, never stayed in a hostel before on the edge of Old Delhi. So if I wanted to give myself a kind of complete anxiety, you know, that that was it. Um, but we ended up staying in India for two months and just falling in love with the place. But oh, I didn't realise probably at that point how, I don't know, how warped my view on the world had become because I met the most incredible people um, and it changed me and it restored my faith in people. And I met so many kind people, but we also travelled to India with just hand luggage. And when we got to Goa, we were staying in a beach hut. And I realised at that point, I was the happiest I'd ever be. Really? But I had nothing around me. And life was really simple. And it was just, but I equally, we met street children. And that was an amazing experience of seeing children that didn't even have their basic needs, didn't even have love, but they were so full of hope and so grateful for life that I was just like, what is wrong with us? We complain about the most all like littlest thing but yet they have nothing and they're so just just so amazing that makes me quite emotional hearing that yeah that's yeah and I think that's that's that that, that's the thing isn't it I feel like um especially in, in 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 western societies we we chase so many things we chase things we don't often go inward to find ourselves because we're so outwardly we're so on the external chasing a job chasing a relationship chasing money and um you know not to say that you know we don't need those things in life but our main focus on is on external you know looking for yeah so yeah so absolutely so like last year in lockdown when I realized I didn't want to waste the opportunity I decided I wanted to do some inner work 
So I knew I had some limiting beliefs that were holding me back completely. Yeah. And so um, I started with a life coach and, you know, and I didn't realize how instrumental that would be for they're me. Amazing, and yes. they're so amazing. But to lots of my friends, they still are not on board and believe that, you know, they're kind of new age and or a scam. And me being like, well, how is investing in yourself um, a scam? So recently I've just started with um, a life coach that previously um, you, I, used to, I used to train with and not the cheapest, uh, no, uh, you know, no, nor should she be. <laughs> um, but I kind of I remember getting off the phone to her and me saying to Mike, if I don't, if I don't go with her, I'm ready, you know, I know what I want to do. I'm actually telling myself that I'm not worth that investment. And so by far, it's the biggest investment I've ever made into myself, but it will pay off 10 times over. Absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more, Amanda. Um, and, and, and look, and I, and I, and I, I can relate to that. Um, and I'm, you know, proud to admit a couple of years ago, a dear friend of mine who was also a guest on this podcast, we went to, um, we paid a bit of money and went to a massive Tony Robbins event when we, when mm. we could, <laughs> when yeah. we could do that. And so many people thought we were, um, we were a bit mad and that, um, and particularly some of her family, they thought she'd joined a cult, um, <laughs> Because, you know, um, because I don't have an understanding and, and that's okay. That's fine. Um, but I, I couldn't agree with you more. Investing in yourself um, is, is, is the, it, it's the most important thing in, I think, in, in life because um, you have to show up. How can you show up as, you know, um, the best of you when you, you, you don't know what that is or you, you don't know how to? I think especially as a mum, you lose who you are and you're so used to kind of making sure that everyone else is okay and you know that life is running you very rarely take any time for yourself and you know limiting beliefs they creep up on everybody and you know you most people don't even know that they're there um and you know and when you were asking me about you know um kind of just going for it it's that thing of, you know, that that thought inside your head is just a thought. It's not actually there. Um, but, you know, that thought is going to tell you that you can't do it. And that's right. And so I just make sure that now I gather lots of evidence to prove that I can do it. Whereas in the past, I would have gathered evidence that would have almost I would have self-sabotaged myself in order to get that evidence to prove that I couldn't do it. Whereas I now relate. I will. <laughs> yeah. Whereas now I would get the evidence and go, actually, you know, that person wasn't more equipped than me and didn't have more experience and didn't know. And Absolutely. Um, look, Amanda, I'm not a mum as yet. And you, you mentioned really quickly that, um, you know, as a mum, you you do, you lose yourself. And I have lots of friends who, who are, uh, who are mums as well and have said the same thing. And that must be so hard. I mean, I've gone through that in times just in my own life, being a human and being a person on earth and part of the journey. Um, and I can't imagine what that's like while, you know, with having, having children. Is that because you're just constantly giving out to? to? I think different, with each child you have, I think it changes. So, for example, really? with my son, because mm -hmm. he was my first, he, mm -hmm. he was the one that kind of 
destroyed my body. My body didn't look <laughs> quite the same again. You know, before that, I knew I knew who I was, but then suddenly, you know, I was his mum, and I didn't quite know how to adapt to life after him, and I didn't quite have that respect for my body of the amazing thing that it just actually sure. done for me. Sure. Whereas then, when I had my daughters, I think that probably put a tremendous amount of pressure on me that I'd always had pretty toxic relationship with myself up until that point and you sure. know a yo-yo dieted and you know and I was like I don't want my daughters to ever do this and I, I've got to be their role model um and so that put huge amounts of kind of, of me just going actually I want to show you that they can do it and you know so for example um I don't know if you know the Olympian um Sky Brown the skateboarder no no, I don't. Um, so she's um, she was a British Olympian. So she was 13 when she went to the Olympics. Um, so my my middle daughter is obsessed with her and also oh. obsessed with this massive fall that she had. And so part of this video, she says, you know, I don't normally show my falls, but, you know, I'm, I'm going to basically get up again. So anytime my daughter falls, I will just kind of go, what was Sky Brown doing? And she'd be like, she'd get up again. And I was like, oh, yeah, amazing. so, you know, it'll be better tomorrow. And, you know, so it's very much about making sure that all the messaging around them. So, for example, um, we don't watch TV. Um, and I can we're kind of, <laughs> Yeah. And just making sure that, you know, because what you consume, so we don't watch the news. And, Fantastic. you know, knowing that you have a choice about what you watch. Fantastic. Yeah, and I'm happy happy to hear you say that. Yeah, the news. I mean, that's a whole other topic that I, I won't. But also, I think when I first had my son, I mm -hmm. very much did, um, because I'd previously been a, a nanny. Did what society told you how what you should do. So I kind of, you know, so tried to get him into a routine, and then you know, when my friends stopped feeding him, I stopped feeding. Um, whereas, like now, I just kind of. We've always co-slept with the girls. Um, I'm now, I'm still feeding both of them. And lots of people have their opinions. and But they can keep their opinions to themselves because, yeah. you know, it's that thing of going, I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. And the girls are happy. Yeah, well, that's the main thing, isn't it? Yeah. And we're, we're all very quick to to judge and pass out our our opinions about things but yeah you're right it's it's they can keep their opinions to themselves yeah yeah and I just I think this is and um like I, we briefly touched on it earlier to do with social media mm -hmm. and obviously social media is so much about putting out the, the kind of the Instagram side of your life and you know the glossy side yeah and I think if more people were a bit more real about actually when they're having a bad day or you know when things aren't going right then I think it would the world would be a better place it would be it would be and and um and that that was part of the reason why I wanted to have this podcast as well because um we're all scared to do that we're all really scared to be vulnerable um because I think um you know when you show those parts of yourself you know you're comparing yourself to a platform where people are editing their lives and showing you the best bits and you think oh well I don't have that or I should have that and so therefore I won't I won't show the you know the um the the bad parts of my life which we're all scared to do but I think you're right I think if we did the world would actually be <laughs> a very different place no yeah no absolutely would and you know I'm still guilty of it and you know Me I'll too. kind of go <laughs> and I, I you know however much I like platforms like TikTok they mm -hmm. are the worst when you're trying to kind of compete with an algorithm that's changing yeah you know you want to put out quality content 
but it's all about the quality quantity and people's short attention spans and I you know, know and it's and it's it sometimes can be draining but I only use those platforms for work I don't use them but really personally at all wow that's um gosh you need to teach me how to find that balance because <laughs> it can be a bit addictive um on that can you tell us about the products um that saffron designs has tell us about about your products yeah so saffron designs is um a sustainable business so yeah. i only use um so primarily like our hero products are a tote bag so they're 100 percent recycled um so they are um, recycled um plastic bottles and then off cuts of organic um cotton so um you know completely recycled um anything that we make um and all of our plastic is packaging free and so that is a lot to do with traveling and a lot to do with the children as well because again in the west we are so used to everything being nice and clean and, you know, rubbish being taken away without a thought of where our rubbish ever yeah. goes. Yes. And seeing it washing up on beaches and, you know, and also seeing poverty and the fact that we will go to places and we think, you know, especially with fast fashion, that we yes. feel it's okay to go to other countries and exploit workers and you know there's lots of brands at greenwash um and you know i'm not going to name them but there's a, a big brand who actually moved their um their manufacturing to a different country where they didn't have a minimum wage i think so i are talking about but yes yeah yeah mm-hmm. so they fitted that criteria and and just going actually so um i've been doing some stuff to do black friday recently mm. and just going you know, small businesses really can't afford, you know, lots of people have got supply chain issues still with COVID. And, you know, so trying to squeeze small businesses over Black Friday and compete with the big boys. But, you know, you've got brands that, you know, might sell a bikini for a penny. Yeah. You know, somebody's made that somewhere. Absolutely. And so, for example, I stopped using um, shopping with lots of brands um, after COVID to do with who cancelled contracts as well and didn't oh, wow. pay oh. so there were huge amounts of brands that cancelled contracts after the stuff had been made <gasps> and left factories in Bangladesh just high and dry and where do we get that information like for listeners who may who may be interested to, like where do we where 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 can we find that information so I just follow kind of news articles so oh, okay, it regularly okay. because I follow right, it it regularly okay. comes up on my okay. phone so okay. yeah wow. um, but there's certain Instagram channels that are quite um, good at having right uh, information okay. up to date yeah but I just I feel that I want there to be a world for my children and you know the way that we're going about it there there isn't going to be because you know if you look at consumption um, because I've got a group of home educated friends they mm-hmm. tend to care about the kind of environment and but most of my mainstream friends still you know we'll do the odd bit of recycling but won't actually think about well should I buy that new dress or should I buy that new pair of shoes or could I buy that second hand or you know for example Halloween we've just had Halloween yeah. how many pumpkins have ended up in landfill that is so true yes yeah yeah that's really sad 
and I think because we're such a um, we're such a consumer driven society, especially in the West. Like I know here in Australia, I won't name. There's a big department store that sort of rebranded itself several years ago. I'm not going to name it, um, and they did really really well with their rebranding. Um, but their products um, are really trendy, really on trend, but they're super cheap. Now, the question that you have to ask is if those questions are being sold here in Australia so cheaply, you know, um, what, and they're all imported products, what are the people who are actually making those products making? What conditions are they working in? And what are they actually being paid? And look, and I'm guilty of it too. Like I've been to these stores and not given that a thought and bought so much, but you're absolutely right. I think it's probably different for you, Amanda, because you've traveled so much of the world and you've seen it firsthand. No, but I've, uh, you know, in the past, I've been absolutely guilty of buying fast fashion or buying trends or, you know, buying more than what we need to. And I think it really helps that there is a nine year gap between my eldest and my middle child. Uh-huh. So all, almost all of the mistakes that we like kind of made <laughs> with him. So, so, for example, my daughters don't know that there's a toy aisle in the supermarket. That there's um, a what? At a toy aisle in the supermarket. <gasps> oh. Really? Um, so they don't know. So, so, so they don't ask because they don't know it's there. Um, and then probably a really good thing, actually, before we went to India, um, we didn't celebrate Christmas that year um, right. in the sense of we were going on a two month trip. So, you know, it needed to be something we could take away for us. At the time, my son, like, hated it. He was just like, you know, but actually what that did is that reset Christmas forever. So Christmas since then has been a far nicer affair in the sense of it's not to do with presents at all. So they still get presents, but there's fewer of them. Um, You know, we talk about what you need versus what you want. And it's more about being together as a family amazing amazing I love that and it's it's so true I mean look my, my personal beliefs to me Christmas was never about um you know presents but you know being in such a consumer driven society where it's blasted everywhere you know you'll go to the shops in September and they're already you know marketing for Christmas and presents and shopping and you know yeah I think it's, it's really hard it's really hard because obviously you're being marketed to all the time and being told yes. well you know this is what a good parent looks like and this is you know this is how you show success and you know this is what your child should have and say for example I was saying in a whatsapp group the other day we were talking about Christmas and I said is it really bad that we don't do advent calendars now because mm. I firstly don't want to encourage my children to eat rubbish chocolate yes. um, when I tell them all year round that they can't eat chocolate in the morning. And secondly, I don't want to buy them 24 little items that are just going to end up in landfill. We Absolutely. have. A, and I think this was part of traveling with hand luggage. I realized that actually the clutter that we have in our house contributes to my stress levels. And actually we need less, not more. I couldn't agree with you more. And you know what else, Amanda? I feel COVID, like having working from home and being at home, um, I would have to say um, also showed me that we actually don't need as much clothing as we think we do as well because I have literally lived in these, um, which you can't see, um, these, um, you know, yoga pants, I reckon for the last, you know, year and several t-shirts and but do you know the average person wears an item six times now Mm. 
and um, and 50% of clothing is now made from um, polyester, so plastic. And you, you just go, how is that going to change? Uh, and that's actually a good segue because you've actually just re, re, um, released a sustainable clothing line as part of Saffron Designs as yes, well, haven't I you? Yes, I have, yeah. Yeah, amazing. so that is, um, it's recycled polyester and recycled cotton. And the theme of it is manifestation. So oh, um, I'm a big manifester. And, um, you know, so um, CXI is the Roman numerals for um, angel numbers 111. Is it? Um, oh, I didn't know yeah. that. Okay. No, yeah. and um, and so yeah, a lot about actually. So I very much believe that happiness is a choice. So and, do I. Yeah, um, you're talking my language. Um, yeah, but lots of people don't, and lots of people feel that kind of life controls them rather than them having control over their life. Mm-hmm. And so I really do believe when you get clear with the universe, the universe delivers on what you want and we don't most people don't spend enough time actually thinking about what they want and the why behind that they want so you know I'm a massive fan of journaling and just kind of you know really really getting clear on what I want I feel like you're talking I I have my my journals daily with my initial yeah yeah I do that that's a daily practice I couldn't agree with you more and I don't look I actually don't think it's it's people's fault either because once upon a time myself Amanda I was the same way and many years ago I I was uh, fortunate enough to come across Louise Hay um I don't know if you know yeah and I I started playing one of her um her CDs I bought one of her books that came with a CD and every day in the car I would I would play this CD and it said to play it for a minimum of 30 days or 40 days and um you'll be surprised, you know, when we're often driving, we're often driving on autopilot. We're not really present. We're not really thinking, but um, having that CD playing um, actually made me so aware of how negatively I thought, you know, back then at that time and that my thoughts were a reflection of what my life had almost become because do you practice gratitude absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. But I think, you know, in the beginning, in the beginning, when you're doing that, I think it's uh, it's something that does feel forced and it does feel unnatural. But over time, you realize how much your thinking and your thoughts actually create because we're we're actually all manifesting all the time. It's all energy. I'm, I'm a big believer. Everything yeah, is yeah. energy, um, and where we actually manifest good and bad all the time. Yeah. So you want to keep your headspace and your thoughts in a really sort of vibrant soil, as to say so that you can be in that space. And look, as humans, we do have to experience good and bad. But, you know, when we're in the bad, it's knowing how to bring yourself out of that, but also allowing yourself, because I've also seen a bit of toxic positivity around as well, where, you know, people are constantly also trying to run away from the bad feelings. And you do have to allow yourself to feel that. I've been doing that recently about sitting, learning to sit when I feel scared and learning to get comfortable with that feeling of being uncomfortable and it's it's yeah and it's it's definitely a journey because you know like most of the time you know if you put yourself out there it's kind of like oh no I don't want to um but actually kind of going you know it's okay to be scared I'm just gonna sit here and then just kind of process it and see how it feels but like with the gratitude since I started practicing it honestly it's been life changing has it um and uh, but my four-year-old she practices it so at dinner she she will always be the first to say um what are you grateful for today 
and you know and hopefully she kind of continues with that but the amount of people that I've actually spoken to and when I kind of and they're having a bit of a bad time and you kind of go but surely there's something you're grateful for and they're like no and you're like you know and I think this is where uh, lots of comparisons come in and this is where I was kind of reading about how you should always look down and never look up because if you look at somebody who's got less than you you're always going to feel grateful for what you have whereas if you're Mm -hmm. always comparing yourself to someone that has more of course you're not going to feel great yeah absolutely I I completely agree with you and even with with the gratitude like people think it has to be you you have to feel grateful for like these really big things or you know having a having lots of money it's not about that I remember once I cut my thumb really really badly and I had to go and have um I had to have stitches and a tetanus shot and I remember um you know that day thinking god I was so grateful for my thumb that you know before I cut it I was able to use and wash dishes and now I can't but I was so grateful that you know I had at least had another thumb so they can be the most simplest things the fact that you're able to have two legs that can allow you to walk you know just the simple things like we take for granted every day but just just appreciating like so for example like I I walked outside yesterday and uh, you know and the stars were really lovely Mm. and just going I'm really grateful for for this and I think sometimes we don't focus enough on how much the environment can play a part of it and so you know just if you're in a bad mood getting outside and you know, so so with the travel, this is kind of more of we're going back to traveling. And one of the things that we want to do um, next year is explore um, living off grid. And so kind I of going that. back to living really simply and living really sustainably um, because I want the girls to know where their food comes from and know what nature looks like and actually you know, I think we're all guilty for it. So I said during COVID, I'm never, ever going to make myself so busy again you know, um, and I've done exactly the same again, but just knowing that actually, you know, life can be at a slower pace mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. you know, and I think the need to connect and be more present is so important. Yes, absolutely. I, I completely agree with you. And it's funny you say that I was having this this conversation with someone else and we were talking about, first of all, the nature side of things. And she, she was actually um, a park ranger in a different life. And she said to me that, that us humans and nature, that we vibrate on the same frequency of 6.5 hertz, which I didn't know, right. um, which then made sense as to why when we go out in nature, it eases, you know, if we have anxiety or if we're feeling bad, often yeah. if we're not in a good space we want to be out amongst nature so that made sense um and then the second part of that was that rushing all the time and you know prior to COVID hitting last year I remember I was you know working in this consulting role where I I felt like I was just constantly chasing my tail and I felt like um you know it was just a constant go 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 come home you know cook dinner quickly get to bed get up and do it all over again you know and it just was draining so but I think we get so used to so we've spent the kind of last few years trying to structure our lives in a way that we can get off that hamster wheel because Mm. I really don't think that you should wait for retirement to enjoy your life absolutely life you know and you shouldn't you know especially now post-covid there's so much for remote working and you know in the the world of digital of creating your own income so you can actually enjoy life as well 
Absolutely. And I think for me, Amanda, if I'm honest, I feel like the younger generation have shown me that. Um, because I think for me, I always thought that people who did the things that they really wanted to do were either a just really lucky or they were born into lots of money and I feel like the younger generation and I said this in another episode I feel like they've shown me that that's not accurate at all um and I've learned so much so much from them so um uh, yeah I think that they seem a lot keener so in terms of self-development and wanting to to kind of they seem a lot more ambitious and actually a lot of my customers are gen z and what's really lovely about that is they really care about where their products come from they do and so that kind of gives me hope yeah no they do and look and i have to say i was um up until recently working with um working with um you know, uh, teenagers. And I have to say, when I compared myself to the teenagers of today, so many of them are so, so much smarter than I was, and they really care about the a cause. They really care. Um, so yeah, that's um, amazing. Um, I, I wanted to say, Amanda, another great thing about your business um, is that you not only ensure the products are ethical to the environment, but the staff you hire are also paid yeah. correctly and have good mm. working conditions. Yeah. So we have, um, so one of like, so one of the, the full-time member we have in the UK, actually, I pulled my dad out of retirement. So he'd been retired <laughs> for 12 years and he now works for us. Fantastic. Um, so, so of course he, he has good working conditions, but um, now I have two designers that are in the Philippines. So making sure that they're paid, um, you know, above minimum wage and just that they're treated like people. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if they have a hospital appointment to go to with, you know, a family member that they're able to. And so, for example, so I they're allowed to work their hours. I don't. So lots of people that have um, VAs and designers in the Philippines will, will get them to work the graveyard shift. Whereas oh like um, and I'm like, no, you know, we can communicate either side. So normally my designers start as I'm going to bed and then, you know, then I'll get up in the morning and, you know, and occasionally we'll need to work on the same thing on the same time zone. But it's just that thing about treating, um, you know, them like they're human really. Absolutely. Uh, well, I and really so for, admire that. Yeah. And then our bags, the manufacturer, um, again, they have um, fair, um, it's fair wear. So they pay correctly as well. Amazing amazing which yeah I'm, I'm that's something i'm personally very passionate about ensuring that everyone is um treated as as we would all want to be treated so um, i'm glad that as a small business you take that really um you take that really yeah seriously. i think it's easy to i think it's easy to chase money um and i i think that that and in some ways it's kind of the more i've learned about um the kind of climate change and pollution and the more i've traveled the more it just wouldn't sit right with me. Um, And so, you know, for the sake of making some money, it's just not something that I'm willing to do. But I also want to show my children that you can do good and do well at the same time. Absolutely. Yeah. And look, we, we, we all need money to survive. um, But um, money is not everything. It's not, it makes life easier. It can make life comfortable and it can make life easier because it can give you back your time but it doesn't always equal happiness. No, know. but it does It does definitely make a difference. So, for example, yeah, um, um, when I was leaving Goa, um, we, we'd had a maid there and she was the most incredible 
like person so you know not only was she super helpful the fact that I had like a newborn and a toddler you know she'd suddenly appear with food she mm. you know she went over and above but she was also a single mom with two children Oh, and so we knew that obviously COVID was going to hit her really, really hard. So having money meant that we were able to leave her money. So she, we knew that for the next kind of six months that she would be fine. Wow. Um, and you just, again, so I, I don't know what it's like in Australia, but we, here we have a benefit system. So yeah, you're we have never, too. Yeah. yeah, so you're never destitute. Whereas obviously that's not the case in countries like India. There is that's no safety right. net. And, you know, so when there is no work what what do you do and again putting it into perspective of what she was earning and how she managed to kind of afford so recently actually um uh, in india they're still a home school like um doing school online um but her children were required to have computers or tablets that were separate mm -hmm. um And I didn't realize how expensive inside India tablets were. They were four times the price of what they cost in the UK. You're And joking. I was like, how is anybody expected to actually afford that? And so I think this is also where it's really good for my children to see the contrast. So on one day in Delhi, we went to um, to visit a charity that was um, street children. And then that same afternoon, we went to... Um, the mall of india and the two extremes were just like and it was in some ways it was really good we did the two things on the same day to actually see how vastly different they were and you know and i hope that they will impact my son and he will see how privileged he is and lucky yeah and i we we, we forget that on a daily basis i have to ask you on a personal note what was it like um you know being faced and I know you've traveled a lot being faced with poverty like that seeing seeing children um in such states of poverty because that's something I would personally really struggle struggle to, I still you know that's something I'd struggle with to I think, how do you think I think this, yeah, so in, um, so in um, India, they've got obviously a massive problem with street children. Um, but again, because my children have, are like Indian descent, I want them to be really proud of where they come from. And so um, in Delhi, I think there's 100,000 street children. And generally by the age of five or six, they're addicted to, to glue or something else. Um, and it's you know a huge problem but I think you can kind of either shy away from it or you can kind of go actually let me understand the problem and so we made it a kind of a mission to while we were in India to go and meet with smaller charities so we went to when we were in Jaipur we went to a, um, a school which was for girls so these were destitute girls or um, girls that have been rescued from prostitution and this charity what they would do is they would give them an education they would also set them up with um, a, a bank account um, and they would teach them a skill and then they would sell products so by the time the child was 18 and left they'd have about two thousand dollars in their Wow, bank account which is fantastic. amazing and a skill so you know they could they could go on to live to live a good life Yeah, yeah. Gosh, it's um, yeah. And I think it's important for for kids to see that, um, Amanda. So I admire that you are exposing your children to that. Although saying that, that I've also um, I've clearly raised them to be very, very polite. So we went to see um, where uh, there was a boy's home and lots of these boys were rescued from factories. Um, so they were forced, forced labour. 
um, and some of them were so tiny um, and they invited us um, they invited us to stay for lunch so Louis sat down on the floor with them and they had lunch um, but bless him he really wasn't used to some of the spices and it was a, and so the, the, you know I clearly raised a really polite child that he didn't say anything he just ate the food and then afterwards was like mum that was so hot and they just gobbled it up and I didn't know what to do Oh, bless him. Well, that is very polite because I don't know most kids who would continue to eat really spicy food. Oh, well, I hope they at least had some milk close by for him. No, no oh, but you know, he, he lived. He lived. And it's like, yeah, he won't he won't forget that, will he? <laughs> um what have you learned? So out of this experience of, you know, um, you know creating your own business during this time in the world, what have you most learned about yourself, Amanda? Um, that I can do anything that I put my mind to, that, you know, that anything is possible. You know, if you can dream it, you can do it. Um, and, you know, and quite often. Um, so even if I'm thinking of a, a number to do with a launch or or something that I want to do, if it sits comfortably, I know I'm probably like aiming too low with that and just oh, going, I'm going, but, and, go, and going, what feels slightly <clears throat> out of reach, slightly uncomfortable. Um, and then, but as I say, having things written down. Um, but I think, you know, when we kind of first spoke um, after this vid- um, a video I'd put out about this um, newspaper article, I then put out an art- um, a video about how, how I felt invisible. And that was one of the reasons I wanted to start Saffron. And, and that came down to um, I, a friend's husband. Um, he's, he's mentioned it a few times that quite sexist where I'd clearly, because I was a stay-at-home mum, become very invisible. <laughs> and we just going, actually, you know, he had just assumed that my partner was responsible for everything that, you know, kind of happened in our lives. And even though my partner put him right, you know, and even we had lunch with them a few weeks ago. And again, assuming that my partner has far more of a role than he actually does in the business, because I couldn't possibly do it by myself because I'm a stay at home mum. And I was just like, do you know what? Actually, rather than being really offended, I'm going to use this as my motivation to just go, actually, I'm not going to be invisible. And, you know, I will kind of far exceed expectations. Well, first of all, I take my hat off to you for um, using that <laughs> and not um, using a few curse words. Um, wow. So when you say you felt invisible, Amanda, what did that mean for you? Um, so I think that, you know, I'm obviously in a, in, in a privileged position that, you know, for the last how many years I've been able to stay at home. And that's a decision we made as a couple um, that benefited our family. Sure. Um, but we, prior to that, we were both at the same point in our career. So, um, and it's that thing of, well, we were buying a house. So, mm. you know, uh, effectively on our mortgage, I was invisible yeah. because I didn't have an income. And then, you know, my, my son, because he was probably about five or six when I stopped working, you know, would go, well, he didn't quite remember the the kind of struggles and you know oh, the, the okay. juggling mm-hmm. and so he'd be like but you know well well Mike works and I was like I don't want him to be the only role model and again having the girls wanted to make sure that you know 
that they knew if they wanted to stay at home that that was absolutely fine but actually you could do both and you could you could juggle as well yeah gosh and it's it's so sad because being a mum like I'm not a mum yet but it's it's so hard like it's a hard job and to think that like and I'm sure you're not the only mum Amanda who feels invisible in that role yeah. yeah, because you're you're their mum, you're someone's partner, you kind of make everything happen. Um, but as I say, just making sure that, you know, I kind of took back some kind of control and said, you know, I want, you know, I want to invest in myself. I want to make sure that I'm happy because a mum is really kind of the centrepiece of a family. Absolutely. And, you know, and if she's kind of working on empty, you know, like, so I know when I'm tired and stressed, that you know the whole mood in the house changes whereas you know when I'm happy and want to do things you know again the the kids want to do it so you know and I think you can't you can't give your all all the time you you have to make sure that your glass is full as well yeah absolutely so you know um and I'm I'm, I'm saying asking this for for thinking of mums in mind so you know, if, you know, being a mum, you said you do, you lose yourself. And I know friends who've, who've told me the same thing. So what do you do like as a, as a mum? Cause again, I can't speak on that because I'm not a mum yet myself. Like, you know, when you, I've had a lot of mums say to me that if they take time for themselves, they would feel guilty about that. Um, you do, but I don't think the guilt ever goes away. So, okay. um, um now um I I spend at least one night away from my children um, which means I work um which means I can have some time also means I get a good night's sleep which again (laughs) prepares me for the rest of the week um so unfortunately my girls still wake so you know but it's actually appreciating you know your body does change Mm. but it Mm. does the most incredible job you know of, of having a child but it's working out those little things that bring you joy um and doing more of that and I don't think enough people sit down and go what brings me joy and you know so outside of the children yeah absolutely so what do yeah what what did you do like just just for people who may be listening um to start you know when when you felt you know a bit like you'd lost yourself what what were some things that you started with that you started with to to try and regain you know some of yourself back I think exercise is really important. So for me, um, kind of probably up until having my middle child, exercise was very much a vanity thing. And now it's definitely a mental health thing that, you know, it's um, I'm more focused, you know, my moods perk up, you know, it gives me more energy to do everything. Um, And then I think is actually making sure you look after your mental health. Mm. Um, and I don't think you know so making sure that you know it's so easy as a mum to to not eat properly and to you know not be hydrated and you know and just making you know there is only one of you and you know you can't work on empty and it's that getting to know yourself again after having a child as well and getting to know what you like and you want so you know the mum that I am now is not the mum that I was before I started home educating yeah. and that is constantly evolving and you know so for example with the girls there's something called unschooling which is mm. you um you follow the child's lead 
So it's not that you don't teach them anything, but you you kind of facilitate it and you promote it. Um, but you know, it's not like school in any sense of the word. Yeah. And I probably, you know, three or four years ago, I wasn't brave enough, and I, you know, I'd kind of again listen to things um, and be like, well, really, only lazy parents do that, and you know, how how could someone do that? That's really irresponsible. And then over the years, I've met so many incredible children and incredible parents. And what I realized, it was actually I was doubting my ability because school and society had told you, well, this is how learning happens. Yes. And actually, that's not how it happens at all. So I think it's learning who you are and learning that you're going to constantly grow and evolve and you have to just be comfortable to be you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even if you're not a mum, cause I'm, I'm not a mum yet, but I can still relate to all of that too. Um, yeah. so yeah, abs- absolutely. And it's, you know, it, it's almost, there's this saying, I'm going to try and remember it correctly, but you know, if, if a fish was had to judge itself on climbing a tree, um, it would think it was uh, a failure its whole life because the fish is not made to climb a tree. The fish is made to live and swim in the ocean. And I think even for all of us as people, we're all designed and have different purposes here. And when we don't understand what that is and we just are in, you know, maybe a job that doesn't perhaps um, promote what our capabilities or um, true potential is, we feel like that fish trying to just climb that tree and we think yeah that's that's yeah that's Einstein quote I think Um, oh yeah I think it is yes yeah yeah. um but then say like with my son my son is so geeky (laughs) but he wouldn't have been had he stayed in school so I could see you know he tried to make himself like football for such a long time and he hates it um because that meant that he fitted in And, you know, what kind of sad world do we live in? Like, I've heard all sorts of things like, you know, well, bullying prepares you for life. No, it Um, doesn't. (laughs) You know, it it doesn't prepare you for life. And even in a workplace, you know, and it's this thing. So we we have a loose routine at home, but we very much. So there's something called gentle parenting. And we very much try to teach the children and treat them with respect Mm. and speak to them the way that we would want to be spoken to. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so there's not to say that bribery doesn't go on sometimes, but you know, it's not by promoting kind of fear and you know, and like and just going, well, you know, send a child to school and if they cry, well, they'll get used to it. Well, no, they're crying because they have an emotional need. Yeah. If you were crying, you wouldn't want a person just to walk away from you and just go, you know, that that doesn't matter. Yeah. And you know making sure that you know we don't suppress our children's feelings that it's okay for them to feel happy or sad or oh yeah Uh, yeah and as you say I'm I'm relating because I think for so many times our parents you know um I I know from 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 my parents from my generation it's um there's there's a level of respect that must be given and that level of respect can sometimes mean that you're not or you don't feel like you are entitled to express how you feel and if you do you're seen as being either rude or disrespectful um so I think you're right you're you're right um that you know as you know as a parent I think it's a great thing to be able to have a uh a relationship with a child and parent that you also show respect to your child because we're we're human and being a parent it's just yeah yeah it's just like you know for example if you think about eating you know a child should be able to say when they're full 
Yes. You know, if you, yes. Were, if, if, if you said you were full, you know, and someone made you sit there and finish your food, well, you, you're, you're full. So, you know, and it's that thing of just going, you know, they're, they're children for such a small period of time. But actually what's been really lovely is seeing what happens to a child. So I know one of the things that lots of people say to me is, you know, but what about socialising? Um, and it was school but you know how do your children socialize um, and they do socialize all the time and they've got really good groups of friends but actually they're based on friends that they pick not friends that they've been forced together in a class with yeah yes and that's forced socialization but also you know and I'm sure you know probably after COVID socializing can be really exhausting as well oh gosh and not yes. everyone wants to do it yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And like like you, Amanda, you know, when I worked in a, in a corporate role, I had to attend a lot of evening networking events and, you know, putting on the mask and the face and, um, you know, going to talk to strangers. And, and I remember, you know, so many nights when I'm thinking, God, I just, I'm so tired. That just drained me, absolutely drained my energy. Mm. So for kids, it is, it's the same thing when you're in a classroom with people that you don't necessarily you know particularly like or maybe have anything but in common with yeah but I don't know if it's the same in Australia so in the mm. UK so mm-hmm. um so about 50 percent of um families at home educated in the um, UK the parents are actually teachers which says a lot oh that, really yeah so that says that and you hear lots of horror stories and you think okay well you know 50 percent of teachers um but also about a third of the children have some additional need and schools just can't provide for their additional needs at all. And so, for example, like with being on the spectrum, I believe autism is a gift. And if you look at somewhere like um, San Francisco and look at how many people are on the spectrum, and it's not about people kind of fitting in with us. Actually, if we learned about what makes their world so amazing, and Absolutely. one of the things you know that makes a start um, a um, founder successful that is on the spectrum is because they don't have um, the kind of emotional awareness, so they don't care about peer influence, and they're so focused. Yeah, and it's this thing of we don't take time to consider actually that everybody has their superpower. You just need to look for it. Yeah, yeah. And often, yeah, absolutely. And up until recently, Amanda, like I said, I've been working in the school system myself in a careers space. um, And I can't tell you that I have have seen children, um, you know, teenagers who are on the spectrum who have, there's, there's no, there's been no, um, no particular place to slot them in so they get lost and they get left behind um because of it so yeah you're right you're right and they do they're 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 gifted they all each of them have such a special gift like we all do in a in a very unique way so but you must have found that then in the careers side you know we we tell our children you know from a really young age you can be anything you want to be but actually what we really mean is you can be anything you want to be as long as you fit inside this box that fits inside with the social norms that doesn't. Yeah. And it just it just goes against everything that we've told children from a young age. You know what? And and you're actually you're actually right. And I, I've probably only just realized this quite recently. And there's this question that we would ask kids that what's your dream? What's your dream job? What's the dream job? And you know, they would sum us. You know what I actually found? Every time I we asked um, teenagers that question, 
about 95% of them didn't know. And we'd always say to them, think really big, think really big about what the, what your dream job would be. And 95% of them didn't know. And I actually thought many times when I was sitting there with the, with, with the kids, I actually thought that was really sad. I actually thought that they didn't think big enough about what a big no, dream. but then also, but then also, if you think about it, it's like how can they know? Because actually, they actually haven't really experienced life. They've experienced a kind of you know in a school setting. So they you know they've been told who they are and what to think and what to do. Yeah, but you know they still need to discover who they are and really what makes them tick. And I think this thing of knowing what you want is such a you know and I I had it at school when I can't even remember what I said to my, my career teacher I wanted to be but you know mm. and it, you know but you'll be told well that doesn't make much money or you know do you realize how few people you know do this and yeah absolutely and, and it's it's those kind of restrictions start to be placed on it and actually I just really I recently read an amazing book have you read a book called Uneducated no but I'm gonna write that down too um it's about a girl um so it's a memoir and a girl who was brought up by um a very religious family mm-hmm. and her dad believed in the kind of the end of the world so they weren't even registered. They were proper preppers. They Their births weren't registered. They weren't homeschooled at all. And they kind of worked mm-hmm. on the farm. Three out of the six of them ended up going to... She didn't actually pick up a book until she was 16, until she decided that she wanted to leave her kind of crazy family. Sure. Um, and she ended up doing her PhD at Cambridge. Oh, my God. And three out of the six children all did PhDs. And I was like, that can't be, you know, a coincidence. None of them had been home home educated at all. They'd never been to school. Yet when they decided that they wanted to do it, they were able to do it. Isn't that? A, oh my, I've got to read that. I've got to read. Honestly, that. Honestly, it's, it's a really amazing book. Un, un, uneducated. Uneducated. I've written that down. Um, no, but that's and that's what I meant. And I, what I mean when I say these kids didn't. Um, that it's like. Once upon a time, if you'd asked them when they were really young, I'm sure they had a dream. They had a dream of something that they wanted to yeah. be or aspire to. But by the time they got to, you know, the real reality of coming up to finishing school, I found that, you know, such a high percentage of students no longer kind of had that dream or didn't know what it was. And their plan B, you know, which was, uh, you know, a, a real life job. And not to say that those aren't great, but it was like, I don't know, they didn't have that that dream, like that ability to think really big. It was gone. Like it wasn't there. I also, so I listened to a YouTuber. Um, he's a British YouTuber mm. called Ali Abdal. And he went to Cambridge and became mm-hmm. a doctor. And, right. But while he was uh, studying to be a doctor, he would ask the question, if you won the lottery, would you still be a doctor? And every doctor said no. You know, most of them would, would leave instantly. Wow. And so, you know, he's he's now evolved and in, in, is now a full-time YouTuber. But it's that thing of how many people do you know that are truly happy with what they do? Exactly. But Or are just doing it because it gives them a paycheck. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I've also seen the flip side of that as well, where I've seen young people wanting to do a particular job but then um, parents have intervened and said, no, it doesn't earn much money. So think about something else. And I understand, I do understand a part of that, you know, their intention for their, for their child is that they want to see them, you know, have a, a great income. But what if 
the job that they wanted to do was the thing that actually lights them up and really makes them happy. But because it doesn't make enough money, um, do something else. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh gosh. So Amanda, a big thing I talk, I talk about um, in a lot of my podcast episodes with other guests is how important it is um, to be doing something that allows us obviously to make a living, but that also energizes us and gives back to our energy as a person um, and a unique soul. So rather than being in a job that takes away from our energy and our creativity, which we've been talking about, um, you know, for too long, I think so many people have never truly chased their own dreams um, because the nine to five grind literally just, you know, wore them out. And we're told we couldn't, you know, unless you were, you know, like I said, born into money or just extremely lucky. Um, And I think now that mindset is changing. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't think it's probably changing fast enough. So, yeah. you know, what I've learned is the more conventional, I, uh, like the less conventional I become, the happier I become. 100%. So, you know, for, for example, when I started Saffron, I had friends saying, but can't you just get a job like a normal person? Um, and, you know, really? surely that would be easier. And They wouldn't be my friends, I would just say. <laughs> But it's that thing of going, people are, you know, kind of institutionalized and, you know, so institutionalized to believe that there is only one way. Yeah. And so, you know, so as I say, by this time next year, we're going to be living off grid in Portugal, um, living our good life, um, you know, with an income coming in that we've generated for ourselves without jobs. Amazing. Amazing. I hope everyone listening um, really takes away from, yeah, what you just said and, yeah, what what you've done. I think it's amazing. And also the the backstory of how how you've gotten there. I really resonate with everything that that you're doing in your life. I think it's amazing. You should be so proud of yourself. Um, And also the way you're raising your children as well. I think that's – and it's really hard. It's really hard to go against – the mainstream and what everyone else is doing because you're you're judged for it um you know you're seen as perhaps maybe being strange or weird and again I'm talking a little bit about my own experiences too people don't understand why you're making those decisions so I really admire the fact that yeah you and Michael and for those listening Michael is actually my cousin (laughs) um and Amanda is his is his partner so um yeah I really admire the way that you're living your life a life that's true to who you both are and what you truly want and what makes you happy yeah thank you so Amanda, I'll round off with, I always ask this to everyone too. So where, where's Amanda at today, sort of metaphorically speaking in life? Where, where are you at today? Um, I'm in a good place, but feeling slightly trapped by COVID. So mm. it's now been nearly kind of two years since we traveled and feeling very much like we're going into winter here. Very oh. much like we we need to, we need to travel and we need to kind of spread our wings a little bit. So you know, I'm, I'm very much a, a kind of nomad at heart. Good on you. Is this the longest time period you've been without jumping on a plane and traveling? For many many years. Wow. Yeah, the, yeah, probably about I don't know six or seven years now. So wow, wow, well, so we're um, looking forward to coming to Oz next year. Oh, yeah. Oh, you are coming. Oh, fantastic. I was looking forward to actually catching up in person and seeing you. 
Yeah. Thank you so much um, for graciously giving your time. I know it's late over in the UK. Um, Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you.